Your body is unique. So why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, this is Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, I have a comedian come on to listen to one of their bits and discuss how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. This week's guest, Michelle Wolf. First, a story from me. So last summer, I produced a, a charity comedy show with Padma Lakshmi from Top Chef. I know, it, it's true. Uh, we've done two and, and counting. And Michelle Wolf was scheduled to perform... Coincidentally, right as she was about to go on stage, Chris Rock, who was not scheduled to perform, but was invited by Padma, showed up. I asked him if he wanted to go up with a forced casualness. No, he said he just wanted to watch. So while Michelle Wolf was on stage, Chris sat on the backstage steps and just listened. Periodically, he would talk to no one in particular about how good Michelle's new material was. When she was wrapping up, he changed his mind and joined her on stage. I mention this because this sort of thing isn't a one-off for Michelle. Comedy legends love her. Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, and Jon Stewart have all handpicked her to open their most important shows. And I get it. Last year, New York Magazine asked me to pick a comedian who will blow up in the 2020s, and I said Michelle. I don't know what being a big comedian means, but I've done this long enough that I can feel when people have both the drive and ability to destroy the largest audience as possible. And Michelle is one of those comedians. She is a force to be reckoned with. And boy, did the political establishment on both sides of the spectrum try to reckon with her absolutely killer 2018 White House Correspondents' Dinner performance, where she told jokes so hard it almost ended the dang thing. She went directly from the dinner to writing her short-lived Netflix talk show, The Break, whose title was meant to suggest a break from the political comedy that dominates late night. However, as she has admitted, she felt compelled to be political after the heat from the dinner. When that run ended, Michelle was happy to return to stand-up, the art form she loved most, only to be greeted with new fans expecting a different sort of act. The joke we talk about this episode, which opens her recent Netflix special, Joke Show, is her attempt to reckon with this and forge a new path forward where her comedy is defined by who she is and what she says, and not the reactions to it. We play the joke a few minutes into the conversation after first establishing the context in which it was written and performed. So, here is me and Michelle Wolf. And I'm here with Michelle Wolf. Thank you for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I know that the seeds of this joke were, were planted in 2017, but I thought it'd be useful to establish the context 
in which the the joke in the entire special was refined, which was coming out of the White House Correspondents' Dinner and your Netflix show, The Break. Uh, you've discussed the dinner so much, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> saying it, it was just a job. You weren't necessarily a political comedian beforehand, but you were tasked with writing political jokes, and you did. Not trying to appeal to the people in the room, but an audience at home. And famously, it was a big deal. <laughs> like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful. Like she burns facts and then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye. Like maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's lies. It's probably lies. You went from it immediately into production on the break, which you said you were very proud of. Um, but you were possibly maybe a little bit too influenced of the sort of magnitude of coming out of the dinner. This is all to say, when the break ended, and once again you're performing stand-up as your sort of main focus, did you have goals of what you wanted from your stand-up? My biggest goal was to convert the people that were coming to see me from the correspondence dinner to just fans of my stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, I mean, they there was a lot of people that are like, oh, she's going to yell about how bad Trump is. And I'm like, that's not what I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... You know, just hopefully I was able to hold on to as many of them as I could to just be like, no, no, I'm just this is just funny. I'm just trying to be funny. You know, I, I'm always interested in comedians relationships to their audience. Was there like an abrasion of like having to lead people's hands of like what type of comedy they're watching? Because I imagine if you have these people who think of comedy as yelling about how Trump is bad, mm-hmm. you almost have to like instruct them on how to watch you. Yeah, a lot <laughs> of them aren't necessarily stand up fans. Mm-hmm. And so like. You know, there'd be times when um, my my biggest issue with the audiences had been uh, I'll get a lot of particularly women, white women uh, that will they'll woo at premises like throughout the show mm-hmm. in a way where, first of all, I have to be like, OK, you're you're wooing is stepping on the punchline. Yeah, yeah. But also, how have you not gotten the pattern yet that the premise I'm almost going to definitely undercut it yeah. with the punchline? So. You know, like, and and it comes from a good place. Like, it's it's a it's one of the worst tackles you can get because it's uh, they mean well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're trying to enjoy the show, and by wooing, they're trying to show you that they're enjoying the show. And I'm like, stop it, listen, stop yeah. and listen, and wait for the punchline. So you're not wooing at a thing that I just like debunked essentially. It's like they know laughing happens at a comedy show, but the part when they're not laughing, they're like, "What?" it's like, what do I do with my hands? Yeah, how do I let her know that I'm still on board? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, wait five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've talked to Roy Wood Jr. about how he felt like he needed to get to a sort of level of established and sort of trusted and reputable before he sort of felt comfortable talking about subjects in a certain way. Did you feel empowered or emboldened coming out of the dinner? Um, I don't think it was so much the dinner. It's just that I I think the more and more I do stand up, the more confident I get, the more I kind of hone my own point of view. And, um, and that all be, being said that like, I think to be a good stand-up, your point of view has to evolve over time. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to be like locked into one thing. But um, I think a lot of it just comes down to confidence and your ability to um, go after the subjects that kind of make you uncomfortable mm-hmm. and still make them funny. Is your discomfort something that is like a trigger in your brain to be like, oh, maybe there's something th- there? Like, are you finding like, oh, if I'm uncomfortable, there's probably material there? Yeah, definitely. There's 
definitely that instinct um, where I'm like, yeah, if that makes me like a little bit on edge, that that builds tension in mm. me, that'll almost definitely build tension in my audience. <laughs> but also, um, and I, I know this has been one of my biggest issues, is that uh, I write, I mean, I have a, a lot of jokes in mm-hmm. anytime I do stand up. It's like joke, joke, joke. My biggest thing has been letting there be quiet. Uh, for the longest time, it was like, well, if the audience is quiet, they'll figure out I'm not funny. And it's like, no, they're listening. Yeah, yeah. They're engaged. And like they're having. They're wooing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hopefully not. No yeah. more wooing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they'll, um, the, like, letting that kind of like. And I, I think I did it a little bit better in Joke Show. And hopefully I, I continue to get better at it where it's like, let them be quiet. Let them listen to you for a second and trust that they'll stay on board because mm-hmm. um, they do. It's just, you know, it's my own insecurities. Um, so let's talk about otters. Um, so let's play the joke now. It seems like over the past couple of years, we've developed this amazing ability to get mad at anyone for any reason. Like, I saw otters in real life, which was very exciting for me. I love otters, big fan. So I post about it on Instagram, because that's how you prove that life happens. <laughs> and then this woman responds to me. She was like, you know, I used to love otters too. <laughs> but then my husband told me that otters rape baby seals. I just thought you should know. (laughs) Be better. Okay. A couple things. What's going on with your marriage? How is that where you're at conversationally? He wanted to ruin otters for you. He had to look up that fact. It's true, by the way. (laughs) But he had to look that up. That's not something they're just giving away on planet Earth. He had to do a deep dive. (laughs) Much like that otter did into the seal. (laughs) No, don't you start groaning already! (laughs) But also, she told me this because she thought she knew me. She's like, I'm a fan of yours, and you're a comedian, which must mean you're a good person. So I know once you hear this fact about otters, you will change your tune. You'll be on the right side of history. You definitely won't use this in a bit. Otters rape baby seals. I thought you should know. You don't know me. Maybe that's why I like otters. Maybe I think seals have been getting away with too much for too long. Also, whatever you do, you gotta stop saying rape. (laughs) These are animals. No animals are asking for consent. What kind of weird fairy tale animal sex happens in your head? How do you think your labradoodle was made? Did they saw each other from across a field and thought, let's make hypoallergenic. 
like a happy accident, love wins. <laughs> there are two ways you're getting a Labradoodle. Either some dog breeder jerked off a lab and then shoved that jizz into a poodle. Or it was puppy rape. You can choose whichever one makes you feel better about life, but it was definitely one of those two. This wasn't Lady in the Tramp. This was two dogs, one cup. If you want to say rape, all right. How do you know? Did you talk to the seal? <laughs> Did you get a statement? For all you know, the seal could have been up on a rock and been like, hey, otter, want to make a new animal? <laughs> and yeah, an otter-seal hybrid, the cutest animal in the world? I will hold the seal down. If I was up here being like, otters rape rats, you'd be like, good, bad time. <laughs> you don't have to have a stance on everything. You can just like some things, it's okay. You can find bad information about everything out there. You can look it up on your phone that was made by a child. And you can find bad information about every single thing out there, but you'll make yourself miserable. You're too woke, go back to sleep a little. <laughs> it's not like I was posting pictures of Kim Jong-un being like, he seems like a fun guy. Which, if you only look at pictures of Kim Jong-un, he does seem like a fun guy. <laughs> we can't wait to hate people. We can't wait to have them canceled. And because of that, we get mad before we get logical. Like me liking otters could have very easily turned into Michelle Wolf loves rape. <laughs> and sure, I have a fantasy, but I don't love that I have it. Social media has made every opinion valuable, especially if it causes a controversy. Like right now, it's tweets and Instagram, but before that, it was blogs, and before that, it was manifestos. I personally love manifestos because you know when someone writes one of them, they're fucking crazy. And that's all your tweets are. Your tweets are just teeny manifestos. And you know what blogs are, right? Blogs are a conversation no one wanted to have with you. <laughs> Even when you were typing it, your computer was like, I hope I die. <laughs> so let's start here. Um, tell me about seeing otters. Where did the, the, how, just start from the beginning of this actually happening to you, of you went to see otters. Yeah, so I was, um, I had just taped Nice Lady, my first special on HBO, uh, plug um <laughs> but uh and then i i went away i went to this um resort in colorado uh that honestly if you look at the pictures looks like it's a rehab facility <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um i was you know there was like a lot of hiking a lot mm. of uh, running all the stuff that i like to do um and my brother uh, and i were biking and he stopped by there was like a river that kind of ran um 
through the resort and he stopped and he looked over and he was like, come here, come here. And so I ride, ride my bike over and there's like these river otters just floating along in the river. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is amazing. I like grabbed a quick picture um, and I put it in my Instagram stories. And then walk me through what happens next. And then and also walk me through what goes through your brain as what happens. Okay. So um, – I, I post this Instagram story, which, by the way, I think there's a lot of people that have watched the special that are like, I don't see a post about otters. It was like it was a story post. Yeah, it was. I, it was I a, looked. It was not. Yeah, <laughs> it was a blurry otter photo. It was like one of those things where I was like, get it, you know. Yeah. And it was they they just floated by. I we also looked every day for <laughs> otters again because um, we were so excited to see them. You just don't. I don't know. Yeah. I always think of little sea otters. Yeah. You know, and these were uh, the more I think more aggressive river otters. But um, <laughs> so foreshadowing. I, I, yeah, I post the story, and this woman comments. She was like. Um, uh, she's the one who said otters rape baby seals. I thought you should know, but the the crazy you know, the actual the actual message she goes she goes I used to like otters too, and then my husband told me that otters rape baby seals. I thought you should know, be better. And I was like, so she really said, be better. Yeah, this is before I was like, I mean, this is right after Nice Lady. I don't have that many Instagram followers yeah. at this point, you know, like because it's not even after not, it comes out. This yeah, is when, this is. After I taped Nice yeah. Lady. So, you know, like it could be like I, this is only people only know me from Late Night at Seth and, yeah. and The Daily Show at this point. Uh, and so I, it's still the moment where I, I look at like the DMs that are mm-hmm. by people yeah. that don't follow me. I don't really look at those anymore. So if people are trying to send me stuff, yeah. I'm not going to see it. Uh, but uh, but there's so much material. There. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Should at least scan for jokes. Yeah. Um, but. I looked at it and I immediately was furious. I was like, I was like, who is this joy kill yeah. who like wants to find a problem with otters? And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, wait, every animal is a terrible rapist. Yeah, they're, animals, yeah, yeah. they're all an- no animals are like going on a date. Yeah, there's like three or something that like mate for life or whatever. Yeah. But even that isn't like or all the ones that murder the other animals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a lion, a gazelle's whole life is trying not to get eaten. Yeah, uh, and um, so I was. It's just- like if she. If like John Favreau posted a picture about directing Lion King, it's like, oh, I used to like lions, and then yeah. I learned they kill. Yeah, and then they, else. they, do you know they eat birds? <laughs> yeah, I don't know sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it immediately made me furious, and then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, there's actually a joke in here. Yeah. So you have the idea. You're like, oh, there's a joke in here. And what do you then sort of do? Like before, you, like are you are you going to write down something? Are you sort of thinking about the idea? Sort of what is the sort of thought process before you get to the point where you're on stage? I didn't really think about it too much before I got on stage. Oh, interesting. Um, only because I, 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 it was I wanted to talk it kind of more talk it out on stage. I did think of the labradoodle <laughs> angle um, before I got on stage because I was just like, that's, I mean, yeah. That's dog breeding. Um, <laughs> that's dog parks. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so you you went. So you sort of had no notes other than we have this moment that happened, and at some point I'm going to get to this labradoodle thing. Yeah. And then you just do. How do you then are growing and refining it? You're just sort of doing it on stage, and are you tape recording, listening back? What is sort of the 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 bare bones of like actual building out a, a joke like this? So, um, 
The first couple of times, I remember the first t- couple of times I was working on it, it didn't work at all because I think people heard rape and yeah. they were like, they were like, <gasps> and I was like, and it, you know, like when you're first starting out a joke, like if you don't, when you're just trying to figure it out, you don't have the confidence behind it. Or at least I didn't mm-hmm. have the confidence behind it where I was like, this will definitely work. So I think anytime you're tiptoeing and rape is in like yeah. the word rape is involved, people are like, wait a second. She she's, knows this. She's thing. a little scared, so I should be a little yeah. scared. And I wasn't scared about the word. I was more scared that it was a new joke. Yeah. You know? And it it's is, also yeah. that moment after you tape a special and you're like, I have nothing. <laughs> and then every set feels like you're getting kicked in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I um, I remember trying it out the first couple times. And I remember um, my friend in another comic, Anthony DeVito, had heard it. And he was like, he was like, that's really funny. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And that was the first time when I was like, oh, I think I can actually like kind of make a meal mm-hmm. out of this joke. Um, so I kept kind of, I, the one of the earliest parts I got to was the you don't know me. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why I like otters. Yeah. Um, and I I kind of did that for a number of reasons. One, because like. Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's a funny line. Yeah. But also, it kind of reflected back on the correspondence yeah. dinner with all these people being like, yeah, look at her. She's this, you know, crazy liberal. And, and not that I'm not liberal. I just, like, I... <laughs> You're not crazy. I'm just, I'm not, like, a... I'm not going to wear a resist hat, yeah. you know? <laughs> I don't wear hats in general, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> uh, it's bad for my hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, like... It was kind of like harking back on that. It was like, no, you guys don't know me. Mm-hmm. Like, you have this idea of who I am because of the correspondence dinner. But, like, I'm a joke writer. Yeah. I love jokes. I will write the harshest, best joke I can. I would sacrifice any one of my values for a good joke. Um, like, I'll flip on an issue yeah, yeah. if the joke's good enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you've described your approach to joke writing as you don't just go through the town, you drive down every cul-de-sac. Yeah. Um, What does that mean for a joke like this? Well, there's a part that's cut out from the special, actually, Mm -hmm. um, uh, where I say, what's going on with your marriage? And then I do like, there was an an act act out out that was, yeah. Um, You know, I I ended up cutting it when we were editing just because I I wanted the joke to move along a little quicker. But the act out was about between her and her, her husband, like the conversation they were having. And then, you know, in editing the special, I was like, okay, I don't need to, yeah. we can pull out that cul-de-sac. Um, the second one was when I, uh, the Labradoodle stuff, um, which was fun for me. Um, and then very late, right before I taped the specials, when I added in the two dogs, one cup section, uh, and then the hardest part of the joke for me to figure out was kind of that whole ending about, yeah. like, what's the big thing we're talking about mm-hmm. here, which is, um, you know, the blogs, the teeny manifestos, um, Kim Jong. <laughs> the Kim Jong joke actually came really that was early on in the joke. Um, you can find bad information about anything out there. Um, and that blog line I used to use in a different joke before this otter one even came about. It was kind of just like, OK, now I can use this. So you're, you're essentially starting with whatever is the inspiration of it and then getting to a big idea. You're not like, let me get the big idea of what this is first and then write to it. You're yeah. sort of like, okay, we've done it. And now that I did it, I need to figure out what this joke is. Yeah, it's kind of like this joke is kind of like 
the hypothesis and then I needed my big like and then like, you know, there's a body, but then I needed the conclusion. I'm yeah. like, what are we saying here? What's the big overall theme of this? And that's when I wanted to get into the um, the social media, the um, and and like the general ramifications of, of this anger at everything. Yes. Yeah. So you start the special for those that don't know. This is the first joke in the special. Mm-hmm. And. Also, the first words of the special. You don't go like, hello, thank you for coming, mm-hmm. whatever you go. It seems like and you just go into it. Why Why do that? That actually took me a – I really oscillated on that for a long time where I was like, do I – is there like a – I couldn't figure out the best way to get into it. And then I was like, just get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wanted to do that because I wanted – you know, the joke, it takes a minute to ramp up. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not used – Everyone will always say, like, well, you should get them laughing right away. And I was like, I think if they're laughing within the first minute, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, like this. So I, I did want to get into it as quick as I could and then, like, kind of let the joke unfold. Yeah. Because I had I had written so many different kind of preambles into the joke. And I was like, just get into it. It's interesting that you say that because it is um, – I, it, the joke I was going to ask you that it, it it sort of there's sort of small laughs. It's the slowest you've talked in your entire career. Yeah, yeah. And then it, and then it finally like opens up to what's going on in your marriage is sort of the bigger laugh. And also you sort of scream that part. So you were sort of deliberate about, especially at the beginning, everyone's energy is at a low. Let's yeah. gradually get it up. Yeah, I like I wanted people to listen. I wanted people to like, you know, just like, all right. We're about to go on a journey together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so so you're now it's it's partly getting more experience as a comedian, also having sort of an audience that is much you know, this is a special where everyone was coming to see you. Mm-hmm. Where I imagine for nice lady working on it, it was probably Partly in clubs where people are just coming, and then maybe some shows. And but this is an audience that is largely yours, and they can indulge you to start without not having like hello, I'm Michelle Wolf. Thank yeah, you for coming. Yeah, and you know, like I also, um, it was is also sort of deliberate. And the reason I wanted to start with this joke as well is because you know, for the, all the people that like hated me from the correspondence dinner, this is kind of like it's all about that social media anger. I almost think there's some people that because of like the news reports about the correspondence dinner, they they'd think I'd be the person who would say this otter thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, they'd be like I was the person would be offended that you'd post otters. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, not the case. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, you you sort of like set up that this like what is why did he bring this up and then you sort of slip in it's true by the way. Yeah. Did you have to think about when you had to tell the audience this is because you know there must be thinking. Wait, is this real or not? But also, you're going to have to have them sit with the fact that this is real. You know what happened? I was telling the joke, and I kept seeing people in the audience being like, what? (laughs) And then I was like, oh, I need to tell them that this is an actual fact, that it's not like just like a crazy thing. Um, Because I did look it up. I was like, well, do they? (laughs) Uh, Imagine they didn't. Yeah, I mean, that would be, that would even be like, well, the other problem I had when she even when she even messaged it to me was uh, I was like, "Wait, hold on, you these could be female otters. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know, you don't know who these otters yeah. are. Maybe these otters were raped. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like a cycle, a cycle. Yeah, 
I had tried to work that into the joke oh, really? too, and I could never really figure out the right way. And then I was like, I think this joke is fine. long enough. Um, <laughs> so there's then the joke. Um, he had to do a deep dive, much like the otter did into that seal. Mm-hmm. And then you yell at the audience for, no, don't start groaning already. Yeah. So it's a it's a very different dynamic. It's a playfully combative relationship with the audience. Did you... What was it like slipping into something like that? Did you enjoy that? You're like, oh, this is sort of the dynamic that I want to establish. That was definitely a riff I just did one night. Mm-hmm. And then people groaned and I was like, this is exactly where I want the audience to be. Yeah. Um, and I loved when they groaned. There was never a time where they didn't groan. You know, like it was uh, of all the times I did the joke, the hundreds of times I did the joke, there was never a single time I didn't get That's a That's interesting because you smile when you say it. And it's you're like, well, you knew you were going to say it, but you smile because you know they're going to groan. I know they're going to groan. I know they're about to be like, wait. (laughs) And I think that just and it's one again, it's one of the reasons I want to start with this joke where it was like. You should know by now what you're signing up for with me, even if you don't. And if if you don't know who I am as a comic at all, you never even heard of me. I want you to know Mm -hmm. that. uh, Yeah, I'm I'm going to say this kind of stuff. You know, like, so just get on board now yeah. or turn this off. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, as a comedian, we talk about sort of refining your voice. Uh, with you, I want to talk a little bit about your actual voice, your mm-hmm. stage voice, because this is your first big scream or your second big scream of the joke where it really is like the Michelle. Yeah. Um, and you have a, a really great joke in your your last special where you sort of talk about how people talk about Hillary Clinton's shrill voice and transitions. Not liking Hillary. But the one thing that I think is completely unforgivable is some people would be like, well, you know what it is? I just can't listen to her. She has such a shrill voice. And it's like, well, sometimes. (laughs) That's just what happens to your voice. Sometimes you're a person with a shrill voice and there's nothing you can do about it. Because you don't get to choose your voice. It's clear you you know your voice is funny. I think you um, – how did you learn it? And then how did you learn to sort of make it professionally funny? Yeah, I mean that wasn't – it wasn't necessarily a choice. I have some people – I think when they hear me on podcasts or just like talking in normal life, they're like, oh, that's not your stage voice. Is that a fake voice you do on stage? Then I'm like, no, I'm just – when you get excited or like you're performing, yeah. your voice – changes when you're projecting and stuff like that like the idea that they think that the way you talk on stage is exact same as how you talk in real life it's crazy (laughs) um that you you know you don't have some sort of modulation in there and there's definitely times in stand-up where it's like you can tell it goes up and down but yeah i get excited and it gets it gets loud and shrill and um crazy it sounds muppety do you you (laughs) remember doing it early on and audiences being like because I imagine when you start stand up, you're not starting yelling, so you're probably just like talking, and then I know I I realized my voice did it when um way before I started doing stand up, like when I would be like when I would get excited about mm-hmm. something, I'd be like, oh my god, and people would be like, wow, okay, uh, <laughs> your voice really goes crazy, um, and so I knew that was part of how it worked yeah. you know like it wasn't ever like a. I was like oh now my voice needs to get high there's sometimes I like hear back 
like especially when you're editing the special and I was like I was listening and I was like how do people listen to this this is abrasive um so you're like oh I need to not do it all the time I, it, but it's like it's literally not, not even a conscious yeah. choice I make when I'm performing I'm just like no this is just what it is yeah um, so that goes into the you don't know me section, um, which you talked a little bit about how it was coming out of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Uh, it reminded me of, do you remember the Charles Barkley, I'm not a role model commercials? Vaguely. Yeah. I was like, yeah. it's just that vaguely like, why are you judging comedians as if they're like, you yeah. know, I'm a comedian. God, I love Charles Barkley. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Jenna, do you want the audience to know you? Do you want to be known? Um, I think part of the... Part of the fun about being a comic is that no one ever knows exactly what you're going to mm-hmm. say, you know, like and, and you know, like we shouldn't be held to like a steadfast point of view. It's like, well, any your point of view can change based on whatever punchline mm-hmm. you want to do. But also, I think with good comics, especially ones who talk about social issues, you see over time how their point of view changes and evolves. And like you kind of get to watch them in real time have these discussions that I don't think we're really, quote unquote, allowed to have on Mm -hmm. social media, which is like these big issues that are coming up now. And you're like, hold on, let me wrap my head around it. And then so you'll see them in one special and then you'll see them again be like, okay, now I've thought about this more and this is where my head's at now. You know, so you want to see that evolution in thought process. But also for comics, you know, like I always say, a joke shouldn't be what you wanted to hear. It should be what you didn't know you wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. If you know that comic's point of view on everything, you're never surprised and you never yeah. get that genuine reaction. So yes and no. What I want them to know about me is that they should never feel safe. <laughs> <laughs> so what they need to know is that they'll, they can never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'm, I, will, I will turn on a dime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we'll be right back with more Michelle Wolf. Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. It's a weight management program that uses psychology and biology to help you develop healthy, sustainable habits. Noom believes that weight loss starts with the brain, and their daily lessons are tailored to help users understand the science behind food cravings and eating choices. Whether you want to lose weight, increase physical activity, meet a health goal, or simply change the way you think about food, Noom can help you build healthy habits while still enjoying your favorite foods. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. 
The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. And we're back. I wanted to talk about uh, the idea of niceness for a second. Your your last special is called Nice Lady. The The title is a bit ironic um, because it was about the idea of a nice lady that sort of the the the, the box that women get put in by society. Mm-hmm. Um, you also said that in the White House Correspondence Center, they probably underestimated you because they assumed you were sort of, again, this sort of nice lady. Um, and when you started touring this set or what became the special, it was the not nice mm-hmm. tour. Is that also sort of part of it, which is sort of like you, you, you realize for whatever reason there's an expectation f- put on you and you wanted to make sure it's clear that like, I want to be pointed about what is different. I don't want you to sort of like, I think there sort of was a subtext about your, this idea of a, what you or you are not being a nice lady in the first one where this one was more to like, I am not nice and you shouldn't expect me to be. Yeah, there's, I mean, you see it a lot with like, you know, anytime women say really anything, you know, there's a lot of like, if it's a little bit off color or yeah. like they're they're just like, <gasps> How, like, I, you know, I, and I do this vulgar joke at the end of the special, but like, you know, like, it's vulgar, it's like a gross, she's so blue, you know, and it's like, you're barely saying anything. Like, men will say gross stuff all the time, and it's just like, they just never really get called on it because it's expected that they could or should be gross. I've never been like a nice little proper lady, you know, (laughs) like, I had two older brothers. I was, I was, I was, I was in a gross, you know, like I was, I was born gross. Um, <laughs> You're born gross and never learned. Not yeah, to gross. yeah, and like so, like I just like the idea that women are somehow like, you know, it's just still this like ancient to me. Nine, like even it's like the even though the 50s isn't ancient, but like it feels like this ancient expectation yeah. that women are supposed to be like proper, where it's like, how dare you? We're disgusting. Yeah. Um. So the Labradoodle section, which you talked about, which ends with the, this wasn't Lady and Tramp, it was Two Dogs, One Cup. You, there animals come up a good amount in your material. Yeah. I watched a lot of Animal Planet over, or not Animal Planet, uh, Planet, Planet Earth. Earth. Yeah. Is it just sort of like, that's now in your brain, so your brain's like, what are examples of a thing like this? Like, oh, that time. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like, I mean, so a lot of times when you're on the road, you know, like I'll be doing work in the hotel or whatever, or screwing around in the, you know, like playing Candy Crush or something, you know, just wasting time in the hotel. And, you know, you look for something on TV to just even have in the background. And I, Planet Earth was on a lot. I love BBC America. They'll just have a Planet Earth marathon on for the weekend. So, like, that's just the background noise of my life a (laughs) lot of times. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, and I also love it, you know. So, uh, I think there was just a lot of, um, you know, there was quite a few animal references what I was thinking also, uh, when we get to the sort of the part of the joke where it's the, the otter seal hybrid, 
um, which is you just talk about the cutest animal in the world. It's like, and you only care because seals are cute. If it'd be like otters rape rats, you'd be like good about time. Mm-hmm. It 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 reminds me of that sort of like. There are this sort of contrast that you often will be like cute things and then dark things or like silly things and then really pointed things. Yeah. Is is that sort of what you're going for? Do you like that balance of sort of th- that? And it's partly maybe your voice, but but it's like that that cute and dark and that silly because mm-hmm. you're definitely more silly than when we think of as like really pointed comedians, but definitely more pointed than when we think of silly comedians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I um, I, I just like to play on. I, I kind of I like calling people out on their own, um, on their the flaws in their own thought process. Yeah. Um, like everyone loves dogs. Dogs are like you know like yeah. if you hate dogs you're a bad person. Um, but like there's you know like no one cares about like like I hate birds. I think they're gross. Yeah. Like I don't care if anything happens to a bird. Like I don't care if it like I a pigeon could get hit by a car and I'd be like, haha. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um but like if I saw a dog get hit by a car, I'd be like, Oh my god, the puppy. Yeah. You know? So and so like I like to call that out in people and I also see it in myself too. But yeah. it's like, you know, like I I like I like to make people aware of their own blind spots. Yeah. You've talked about how you, you'll sometimes approach jokes like legal arguments or you, you'll imagine complaints that you might get and then try to write jokes directly at sort of what that complaint is. Mm-hmm. Um, does that happen here? Can you think of what that looks like in practice? A lot of this joke is um, me combating what I think people are going to come back with me at. So uh, definitely the labradoodle part is definitely like, that's a part where people are like, no, they rape. And it's like, you have a labradoodle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the the rat part is definitely um, in, uh, in response to what I think people are going to say. Um, and uh, let me see. Oh, the phone thing. Um, when I say you can look up on your phone oh, okay. that's made by a child. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all things that were kind of in response to what I thought people's <laughs> yeah, criticisms It's not like these criticisms happen. You're just sort of like, okay, what would they say? And then yeah. they already make them yeah. not able to say it. Yeah, I'd be like, I'll cut you off at the knees before you can. So we then get to um, the... You're you're not at the sort of ending yet, but we're like getting towards there, which is sort of you don't have a stance on everything, which sort of builds to the Kim Jong Un part. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? What did you like about that section? Um, I mean, that's kind of just like the my overall thinking of social media these days, where it's just like something happens and you immediately have to take a side, regardless of like it's just like. Oh, did you contribute today? Do you feel good about yourself? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like you don't. You don't have to weigh in on everything. Everyone's trying so hard. You know, I feel like there's so much of social media that makes you feel like whether you have a desk job or, what, you know, like whatever kind of work you do, if you can scold someone on social media, it makes you feel like you've done something. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you, then, and also gives you a false sense of power. Yeah. If you're I mean, not even really a false sense, like people, <laughs> social media has power. It's definitely yeah. taken away careers. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you know, like you get this sense of power where it's like, yeah, I told them, I I I helped get rid of them. What do you think? Do you have a sense of why that is happening? Do you feel like it's more than? I mean, I think people, you know, in in general, like f- there's so much like adult life that's just like mundane Mm. and like you know like a lot of people have jobs that they don't necessarily like or bore them or um they're not as 
uh, productive or as uh, high achieving as they mm-hmm. had thought they'd be. You know, like life hasn't necessarily um, been what they thought it was. Yeah. And so like to grasp onto any amount of like power, I think makes people feel good. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there an argument would be like we you get older and you sort of realize there's sort of you're powerless to the nature of existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to confront the fact of like, oh, like, I think when you're younger, you're sort of deluded, like, well, I can live forever and I'll just do everything I can to do that and I'll get a job that'll allow it. And then you sort of get to a point where you're like, oh, there's sort of, I have no control. I think also, I think for a lot of people, Trump getting elected, you're like, oh, there's sort of like, this is chaos. Yeah. And like, you're just grasping for some sort of semblance of like, I can decide what happens. Like I, I have, I have a role in this world. Yeah. And you know, there was a part of a joke that I ended up taking out um, because I could never get it work quite right. But it's my overarching theory of this is that like this whole social media, like you like destroying of people. This isn't new. We've Mm. always liked to watch people die. Like the best day would be when someone was getting beheaded. Like you'd leave your farm, everyone would come to the city, and they would watch someone die. Because in those moments, it no matter how bad your life was, yeah. no matter how many kids you lost to like tuberculosis or something, you know, like you were having a better day than that person. Yeah, and there's a certainty to that. Where yeah. you're like, that person was bad, it's clear they died. Yeah. Like and, so it was beheadings, it was burning people, it was like gladiators. Like everyone would go to watch a, a man fight a lion and probably die. Yeah. Uh because we there's something we like about the destruction of humans yeah um you 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 make a distinction of you'll you'll say like oh i'm not a political comedian or like and maybe you worked at seth meyers and then you worked at the daily show which were sort of political jobs but you will say like oh i'm like i talk about social issues i wonder well, seth like, wasn't a political job seth yes. was like because oh yeah i guess when you were there especially it yeah was like, i mean we started doing closer look while i was still there but like um I was I wrote monologue on that show. I did sketch on that show. I worked on Closer Look on that show. But it was like we did everything yeah. there. Um, That's fair. Yeah. But what is the distinction for you? You know, like in the special, you talk about this, but also like you'll talk about abortion or whatever. Mm-hmm. And what is the difference between political comedy and what you are trying to do? So like in my head, like we have we have laws and rules about everything. So literally anything can be labeled a political issue. Yeah. You know, yeah, I do talk about immigrants. I talk about healthcare. I talk about abortion. Um, feminism. Uh, feminism. Yeah. All that stuff, which like, yes, there's all political issues with that. But I talk about it in my head. I say I'm a comedian who talks about social issues because I'm never going to say, um, I can't believe the Republicans did this. I can't mm. believe the Democrats did this. I Trump's bad. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's right. You know, like I'm never gonna do um, any of that stuff. Like I, I, I did it on the Daily Show. I've definitely done it on the Correspondence Dinner. Um, but all of these, all of these things that are also political issues, I'm just talking about it as my point of view as a person living in the world. Yeah. Not as like what side I'm on or. Um, you know, like vote this way. This person's bad. You know. Well, it's, you're you're on the street level, and you're talking about the street level thing. You're not a, being like I am. I am part of the political conversation. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, and I'm also just like, no one should live their life by what I say. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> you should never, you should never take a comedian's jokes to be like, oh, 
that's how I'm going to do things now. Yeah. It's like, it is. It is interesting. I feel like we're about the same age, and we saw that transition happen. Like, yeah. it was sort of like comedians, especially like you grew up in the '90s, where comedians were either like these sitcom jokes or sort of like nothing. They're like stand-up was at an all-time low, and then partly because of John Stewart or something, like we then were like, oh comedians are like the most important people we have yeah they all of a sudden they were like comedians are the news and yeah. it's like wait hold on hold on <laughs> john stewart was making fun of the news yeah. um but like you know like you would never say that like i don't think you'd say george carlin's a political comedian i don't think you'd say Chappelle's a political comedian but we all talk about social issues yeah. you know like um even prior you yeah. know like they're all just like you would never peg them as political it's just like we're talking about things that's to happen in society and i don't i don't know if maybe it's because i am a woman and they're trying to put me in some sort of box to be like well we got to figure out a way to label her yeah, and it's yeah. like you can't i'm yeah. not you can't label me <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think there is i think the distinction you're, you're making is there are there are comedians and that will like name names or talk literally about politics yeah you know like you know, there's like Lewis Black is an example of he's talking about political issues on the level of politics opposed mm-hmm. to talking about it on the level of we are people living through this experience. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, everything. Yeah. Everything could be political if you want it to be. I wanted to. So in the final section, I want to ask you about something because I feel like on sides of this issue, there is like a, a miscommunication uh, because I feel like people don't know, have the same definition of certain words. Mm-hmm. So the the broad question is, when you say canceled, what do you mean? And I, I'll explain because it seems like there, there are journalists and comedians in general. People complain about canceling. And then you'll see different journalists and different comedians and different sort of people say, well, there's no such thing as canceling. And like no one's been canceled. And um, the people that are saying that they're being canceled are saying it in front of like hundreds of thousands of people or um, – you know, that everyone still had careers afterwards. You know, there's there is this different disagreement. I feel like it's partly like people are talking about two different things. So I, I do agree with you that there's people that, you know, like, quote unquote, they're canceled, but are still making money and, and you know, continuing about their jobs. But uh, I, I take it as like you're canceled from, uh, quote unquote, polite society mm-hmm. where it's like, once something happens on social media and they're like, this person's bad, it yeah. doesn't matter what you do from then on out, people are always going to be like, um, no, they're a bad person. But social media world isn't the real yeah. world. You know, like Twitter, um, as much as people don't want on Twitter, don't want to believe it. Uh, a lot of people have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, like my one friend has the mom test where it's like if his mom doesn't know it's a story, it's not a story. Yeah. Um, so. Because she's not on Twitter, but like a lot of these people live on Twitter. So it's like, did you see what this person said? You know, and then they'll get canceled on Twitter where all these people are like, they should never work again. And then maybe a a news outlet picks it up. Maybe um, their job is like, oh, you can't we can't publicly be seen with you. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're not going to do things privately. It just means that like in the public eye, no one's going to be able to say, um. We love this person. Yeah. There what it seems like you're saying is it is not this I the work how successful this thing is, it's not how it's being judged, but that the impetus of a one person at a time being like, Well, this is what I'm I'm removing this person from yeah. my existence. Yeah. And and like um 
the double-edged sword is that like a, a lot of the ways we use to promote ourselves as comedians is social yeah. media. So then if, you know, you get quote unquote canceled and all these people unfollow you, you know, like you're losing your biggest promotional tool. Now clubs and promoters can still send out email blasts and yeah. all that stuff. And a lot of those people aren't on Twitter or they don't care or they don't follow up with it as much. And so they'll still buy tickets and come to your show. It's just like, from the social media world, you're kind of like a or, par- you're a pariah now. Or the portion of the social media world that is whatever this portion of the social media yeah. world is. And, but- and there's several different, like, it's not just like liberals canceling people who say something offensive. It's also right-wing people canceling people that are like, I don't know, think they made a smoky eye joke. Yeah. Or, you know? For example. <laughs> they they think they made fun of some lady's looks that they definitely didn't. Uh, <laughs> Off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like they both, I, they're equal offenders. Yeah. They, they... I, um, so at the end of the section, you have that joke uh, where you, you, you end with, so just, Michelle Wolf loves rape. And, and sure, I have a fantasy, but I don't love it. That, I don't love that I hate it. And I feel like I, that captures the thing that you were saying, which is whatever is funny, regardless of what your your morality says. Yeah. This is just sort of like, well, this is the funniest thing for this joke. Yes, that was the funniest thing to say at that moment. And it's a, I love that part of the joke. That was also one that was added late in the set. That was probably like a couple weeks before I taped, I added in that part because I was like, yeah, you know, I felt there was like a little bit of a piece missing yeah. um, in, in the logic of just like how this can all snowball. It shows how if we remove portions of the context of this thing yeah that you're like then ultimately yeah it's just sort of you saying a bad thing that you sort of and then you have to wrestle with whatever that means yeah and like that that's again it's like one of the whole problems with a lot of societies like we'll read a headline and then just base our thoughts on a headline rather than the context of the story yeah so you know like and this actually happened i I rarely check twitter but i happened to look at it and this one woman tweeted i turned off at Michelle as well, she she tagged me in it um, at, as soon as she got to a rape joke. And then I quote tweeted it being like an otter rape joke yeah, yeah. because that's the exact thing I'm talking about where it's like that had that come out and I had not said anything. I could have easily not said anything, yeah. but like it could have there's an alternate universe where that could have gotten picked up. And all of a sudden I'm the female comic who tells rape jokes yeah. and which isn't true also if i had a funny one i would yeah Uh, (laughs) well in many ways this is in the broadest definition of a rape joke which is sort of like you say the word rape but you also say that like why are we saying the word rape so much right yeah and like and you know like this this joke is about that tweet you know like it's it's still in this like social media realm where it's like yeah there's very easily a headline where it says michelle wolf loves rape like that's (laughs) And you're wrong. I love otters, and yeah. I don't care what they do. <laughs> um, so, you, as we said, you talk about jokes should have a beginning, middle, and, and end. For something like this, what does what does an ending mean to you? What should an ending of a joke, or at least at this time, or as you think about endings? Because I think a lot of comedians wouldn't necessarily be like, okay, well, this the end is when I can't think of any more laughs for this, and then I just figure out how to transition. Yeah, um, you know, endings, I think, are the hardest part of jokes where it's just like, okay, what's the culmination here? Like what, um, you know, like in some of the bigger, bigger bits that I do, it's kind of it is like an in summary. What it what is this? (laughs) What are we saying? Um, Other times it's just yeah, it is like 
you know, a final punchline or a final thought. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes is it was said that jokes uh, a couple years ago is said that jokes only have a beginning and a middle. And it's like that's completely untrue. They have ends. It's just the hardest part to find. And someone saying there's just a beginning and a middle means that either you were uh, not good enough to think of an ending or even worse, too lazy. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people just transition into the next thing. Totally. Which is maybe the 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 best version of not doing endings is like, well, I'm not even going to let you realize the joke ended. Right, exactly. <laughs> like I'll just be on the next bit. Yeah. What does it feel like when like for this? How did you know you had it? Had you tried other sort of endings? I tried like, a million endings <laughs> for this one. Um, what exactly does it end on now? Uh, blogs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Blogs was an early one that I came back to. Um, because I was like, no, it, it does get like, it does feel like a good mm-hmm. like culmination of everything. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I I think my biggest worry with the blog part was that it wasn't a, it wasn't enough of a, I wrapped it all up kind yeah. of thing. But also, I think it's there is another f- like fifty five minutes of this special, right? Mm-hmm. I think if it's too much of an ending, it would be like. And now it just feel like it's over. Right? Yeah, I it think- would almost feel like it was like okay, new special. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> like <laughs> like each just like a special that's just five minute bits, like completely like yeah. it goes to black and then you start come up again. <laughs> yeah. It's not a terrible idea. Um, we just invented a new special <laughs> format. Um, so you've said about how this it was the first joke of this special, like truly like gifted to you, mm-hmm. as if like a higher being was like, well, this is where you're gonna go. But, yeah. Um, and sort and of, I mean, immediately after I finished I know, taping crazy. my other one, it was it was like I was like, oh, this is I don't know. You're like, I'm going to take a break. And they're like, there's no break. Yeah. 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 Oh, so the comedy gods were like, shut up. <laughs> um, you said so it informed the rest of the hour. How do you then go from this and then shaping an hour? Are you developing themes? Do you want the hour to feel like a piece? What is what is your thinking of it? Yeah, I did. You know, like I wanted to I, I wanted the hour to feel you know, cohesive and that everything was not necessarily that it was all on the same theme, but that it all kind of worked together. And a a lot of this is just, you know, um, we're not communicating. Mm -hmm. uh, We we love arguing with each other. um, And so that kind of set up, we like to argue with one another and Mm -hmm. and we're just not, we're not being clear. We're not being communicative. And And then also like the parts of themes of like, I'm not a, good person sort of mm-hmm. what, this idea that there are good people is sort of uh it's it, it's called into question right it's, you bring it up here and then then again as you said the vulgarity part at the end is less ties into that first theme but ties into the sort of the the person you are that you that you are showing them throughout the show mm-hmm. um so you you said you've I believe you say a hundred times you like to do the show a hundred mm-hmm. times um you might I believe you did more that is a lot and both also very specific yeah i don't know why i picked the number 100 i knew i wanted to do a lot of shows um i the weird part too is like i don't start from when like i stopped my last special i started counting 100 in january of last year yeah so i already had the hour i mean some of the jokes they did get replaced and and uh taken out with other things I thought of, like the male, the if men got periods joke, um, definitely wasn't in it when I when I started in January, um, and that turned out to be like I don't know five or six minutes probably. Yeah. Um. So I, uh, you know, there's there's definitely room for it to, um, 
change throughout those hundred shows. But, you know, it's just it's a way for me, especially because I haven't really been doing this song. It's a way for me to get comfortable performing, finding all the jokes, finding all the punchlines, finding all the little nooks and crannies and then deciding, okay, which of these are too much? Which do I want to take out? Um, Because, you know, sometimes you find a a punchline and then you find like three or four tags and you get diminishing returns on each of those laughs and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to stick with the regular yeah, punchline. Yeah. It's a bigger laugh. It's just also that by the time you're performing on the special, you're like, well, I know that I've, this is the due diligence that I have and yeah. then you can go into it feeling confident. Yeah. And like this, you know, like I, I have a new hour now that uh, I've gotten since I taped this, this special and um, I would be happy to tape it in the next couple of weeks without mm. doing the hundred shows only because I feel like it's um, uh, it, talking about themes that like, I think are really pertinent to right now. Um, so I may ab- abandon. Do you know how many shows hundred. you're at right now? With um, it? It's actually like a pretty good amount. Still, it's probably like, I think if I were to tape it soon, I'd probably still get 40 or 50. Got it. Um, but only because I've been doing um, a crazy amount of, uh, I've been like camping out at clubs and doing yeah. like, you know, like nine or 10 shows a week. For jokes like this, which are an argument, just the structure of it, which is it is making a case for something. Um, I was thinking about how you said you you name the special joke show. So anytime someone takes you seriously or, or gets mad, you're like, it's clear it's just a joke. It's in it's in mm-hmm. the name. I'm also thinking about what you said about earlier and also what you've said about Chappelle, which is that you see him evolve that sort of everyone wants a person to be at this moment this woke, but he's sort of figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, which is sort of all to say, you know, when you're making an argument like this or in special, do you, do you want to be right? What is like, what is your relationship to the idea of like correctness or not even political correctness, but like literally this is the right thing that I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, comedy is at its best when it's like, you know, your personal distinct point of view and like yeah there's a lot of a lot of things that you should be on the right side of but you're just like i'm not there yet can we have the conversation Mm -hmm. and i think that's what really hits with people because it's like yeah i know i should be at this place with this concept but can we talk about it for a second you know like let me um Let's talk about the reality mm-hmm. rather than the um, the expectation. It's also like we were talking about before. The dis- that's discomfort, right? It's yeah. like a tension of between yourself of like I know where I should be on this and where mm-hmm. I am. Yeah. This idea of like, well, I know I'm this, and I want to be true to myself, and like whatever this ideal is, and that discomfort is what you're ultimately making you think of like, oh, this is material. Yeah, and like you know, comics have never. St- supposed to have been correct yeah. you know like they were always just supposed to say the thing that they weren't supposed to say yeah um which i think like anytime you put a boundary around a comic they're gonna their instinct is gonna be to kick it down yeah and that's why i think like Chappelle does the most work for comics in doing that where he's like you're gonna tell me i can't talk about this then i'm definitely mm-hmm. gonna write a joke about it and you know like i feel like he kind of runs in the fire for us so that you know we can be like yeah, he because he can withstand it because he's yeah he's uh, you know like it, it, he's no one's gonna stop seeing yeah, him. Yeah. Um, even the people that don't like him are gonna be like, well, I'll listen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but 
and then that also comes back to you do have to be responsible as a comic to be like if you're going to go after some of these bigger things that people find offensive, which is almost everything at this point, your punchlines better hold up. Yeah. You know, like do the work and make sure the punchlines are good. Like and that being said, it might take you a really long time to get those punchlines. And I think one of the things that some of the audiences don't understand is where you are in a joke. Mm-hmm. You know, like it may take you saying a joke hundreds of times until you figure out that's it. Yeah. You know, but like as an audience member, you can't you can't be at a comedy club and think like this is the finished product. It's yeah. like, no, we're working it out. Yeah. You're part of this. I need to know if you don't laugh, that is a great indicator that mm-hmm. the joke needs to be better. Yeah. Um you you talk about uh, you run ultra marathons or you have mm-hmm. run ultra marathons and how there's sort of a you like proving you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, there's a comedy equivalent in that there is comedy that is harder to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Are you attracted to that impulse of like this is a harder type of joke to pull off? Do you find that like and, and what is the sort of value in that for you? Yeah, I I um I definitely I've definitely been gravitating towards that stuff more and more. Um, and yeah, it's. There's plenty of jokes that are fun and easy to tell, very palatable. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty of comics who do a really good job at, at doing those types of jokes. I do like to go for the ones that are like, all right, that's the hard one. Like, let's figure out what's funny about that. Um, and there's, yeah, there's definitely a sense of like, you know, I'm a I'm competitive person. I more with myself than yeah, anyone yeah. else but like um as any runner i feel like is yeah. <laughs> um just beating themselves into the ground um but uh you know like i i want to prove that it's like okay i can write a joke about yeah. that um i can figure out what is kind of universally funny about that and um you know just uh tackle those big things and there's definitely been times when i've tried and i'm like i'm not i'm not ready yet it's not ready yet and i've I've pulled it and put it aside, and then I've come back to it and figured it out. Like the immigrant joke, the the massage bit, I actually wrote that joke um, while I was still working on Nice Lady, mm-hmm. and I ended up pulling it because I couldn't get an ending. And I would say a couple weeks after I taped Nice Lady and I started getting back into stand-up, I figured it out. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Great. Now you have that <laughs> um, so next year we'll mark... Uh, your 10th year, I believe, doing stand-up, mm-hmm. registered in 2011, uh, which, you know, conventional wisdom, you know, people are like, oh, when you do 10 years, that's when you really lock it in or you really break through, whatever that means. And you obviously have had success already. We're talking about your second special. <laughs> um, but, you know, regardless of success, um, you know, you, you say your goal is not to, like, be popular for a couple of years. You want to be relevant for decades. Um, what is the comedian you see on the horizon for yourself? When you like, what would you, what would be better? What would being better look like? Um, I, th- I think it has to deal with like, like really going after the stuff that like, especially right now that people are like, you're not allowed to talk about that yeah. or like, that's not part of the discussion. You know, like I have a lot of jokes, um, that I'm working on right now that are a lot about, uh, how me too is a lot more gray than we're allowing it to be. Mm-hmm. And how it's like everything is a lot more complicated and um, and it's not just so black and white. And, you know, 
you can see those discussions online as soon as someone brings up something about like, well, shouldn't we question? People are like, no, absolutely not. No questions. And you're like, OK, well, we should, but we, we need to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's kind of the area I'm in now where um, I really want to I want to start in a funny way, be able to have those conversations that we're, quote unquote, not supposed yeah. to have. Um, and, uh, you know, allow myself to be maybe wrong. Um, maybe not everyone's hero, you know, like, just like, just be like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying I'm correct. I'm just saying that like, these are my thoughts and, you know, not being worried about people being like, you're canceled or whatever that, whatever that is, you know, like just being like, no, I'm, I'm trying to like, I, I genuinely want society to be better. Yeah. Uh, but you got to let we got to let people get there. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of that you can do through comedy. And and also just I want to be silly. I want to be fun. Um, you know, and I, I want to um, I, I think, you know, at least in the near future with how fast concepts and, and things are moving, um, I might I might put out specials at even a higher clip than mm-hmm. I am now just because it's like we don't have the attention span to talk about things for yeah, that yeah. long. So if, if you are going to go after social issues, you kind of have to be on top of it. And um, do, you, do you care about, do you think about specials aging? I wonder, I wonder about that people who are like, I need to talk about the present because like, in, you know, if you watch Richard Pryor specials, they'll talk about a senator and you're like, I don't know that senator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean like there, there's a little bit of a fear of like, you know, you wanting it to have a shelf life. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, like, I, I don't know, like, I, I saw an old Carlin bit um, that was about, uh, was about a war. I think it was, was it Vietnam or Korea? You know, like, and, well, yeah. yeah. And, and, and you're like, right. We, we know what that concept yeah. is. We, we, we know about that stuff. It, in the moment, I'm sure it was a lot more heated than it is now. Um, and, you know, like, that's. I feel like I'm not going after specific people or mm-hmm. things that you're, you know, like, yeah, I probably wouldn't necessarily talk about a specific senator. Yeah, of course. Um, but, like, the topics that, even though they might not be relevant anymore, you'll still know they existed. Mm-hmm. As a ambitious, goal-oriented person, do you picture yourself, like, where you're performing at the peak of your popularity? Do you, like, imagine yourself on stage anywhere? Uh, you know, I, like... I love comedy clubs so much that like I can't imagine a world where I'm not performing there. Yeah. I think a lot of times people are like, you're like, I'll get like people be like, oh, I can't believe you're performing at this place. And I'm like, why not? Like they deserve comedy. Yeah. Comedy clubs are the best stuff to work out material. Like, yeah, I'd love to do theaters. Um, yeah. I have done theaters and I will be doing theaters. It's just that like um, I don't want to put on a theater show and tell you did it at a club. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I feel like it's like. I don't know, clubs, people have the expectation a lot of times that you're working it out. Mm-hmm. Theaters, I feel like they're like, I came to see a show, so yeah. give me a show. Yeah. Um, I saw you at Madison Square Garden once, and I was like, I can imagine this. Yeah, I mean, like, that was, uh, I did it three times. I was opening for Louie, and uh, it was amazing. And I, I would be lying if I said I didn't want to do that yeah. on my own. Uh, but, you know, it's... There's something about your voice there, I was like... This is something. I had, I, I had, it was so crazy because I was also like, um, the day before, the day before, 
one of the Madison Square Garden shows, I had like come back in on a train to Penn Station. And you know, Penn Station's below Madison Square Garden and also yeah. gross. Yeah. And then the next day I'm performing at Madison Square Garden, sold out. And I was like, this is just comedy has so many juxtapositions <laughs> where you're like, <laughs> there's one time I was like touring with rock. You know, you fly private. We were in Europe. And then I flew back to Cleveland and I'm like in the back of an Altima, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> um, there is, I was reading an uh, old profile of you. I think it was in Rolling Stone. And uh, it goes, Wolf calls herself a to the bone comedian who's less driven by an agenda than by how the pursuit of perfectly crafted jokes can make her more honest about everything, including her own contradictions, which I thought was a nice quote. But there, you know, there are different types of comedians we talked about. There's some that are you know, driven to like, I just want to be in the moment. I want to be able to riff. I don't even want to have material. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's ones who are like, I want to make sure my message is clear. I don't have to be like being funny. is not my main goal, though. I obviously want to be, you know, this is a podcast about jokes. So like, why jokes? Why, why are jokes special to you? I, I mean, I, I have a genuine love for jokes. I, uh, I, I just think it's fun to make people laugh at things that they didn't know that they could laugh at or wanted to laugh mm-hmm. at. And, you know, like, if I'm in a bad mood, I can write a joke and it can turn totally turn things around for me. Um, and you never know what people, like, there's plenty of times when you, you hear a lot where you're like, I can't believe you, I can't believe you tell a joke about that. And it's like, that actually might be the one thing someone needed to hear. Yeah. You know, and like, that's why it's like, with people that have like different sensitivities, it's like, you don't know that there's another woman out there that was like, that's the joke I needed. Yeah. You know, like I, everyone has this weird perception that their, their point of view is everyone's point yeah, of yeah. view. And it's like, no, that joke wasn't for you, mm-hmm. you know, like, and that's fine. Yeah. It cannot be for you, but that doesn't mean it wasn't for yeah, someone yeah. else. And I think that's one of the most fun things about jokes where it's like, it can mean something totally different to someone else. And like a well-crafted joke that makes someone laugh at something that they don't necessarily agree with. Um, I absolutely love that. Like yeah. laughter is is involuntary, yeah. you know, like and and to make people like actually be like, oh, my God, yeah. you know, like that's that's a fun thing to make people do. <laughs> so uh, that sound means it's time for the final segment. It's the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because it's comedy, it's a, a laughing round. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> do you have a joke that you wish you could steal, but like in so much as like you're not going to be caught, it's a different dimension, different universe, mm-hmm. but that person's joke is now your joke, but everything else is exactly the same. Uh, Bill Burr had a joke in his last special that I was, I, um, I was so mad that I was like, I was like, that was in front of us. Any of us could have taken that joke. It was, um, uh, it's the one where he's talking about like technology and advancements. And he's like, you know, like it used to be that like the driver was the only person with an airbag. So you get into an accident and then you'd survive and be like, my whole family. (laughs) I just love that joke. It was there for any of us to take. For years. For decades. Since cars were built. (laughs) And, you know, like it was, it was just, I was like, oh, he got it. Oh, it was right there. We all could have thought of that joke. Um, it makes it makes me laugh every time I hear it. Um, I feel like we now when we look back at the correspondence dinner, we only know the sort of things that the two jokes everyone knows about it. Mm-hmm. But you told a lot of jokes. What was your favorite joke that no one talks about? Um, I did like the joke, and I recently tweeted it based on what happened to the Iowa caucuses. But it was um, Democrats can't do anything. 
Um, it's hard to make fun of Democrats because they can't do anything. Um, they'll probably lose to a guy named Jeff Pedophile Nazi Doctor. <laughs> Ooh, he's a doctor. <laughs> I also have, I had a really I liked um, I liked the Megyn Kelly joke I told too, which was um, they wouldn't let her. Um, work on the Winter Olympics. It's like, she's so cold and white, she might as well be the Winter Olympics. Um, and then, my, but my, by far my favorite one was the uh, was the joke about the media, which is why I think they made the Sarah joke yeah. so big. But that was, um, uh, Trump can't sell anything. Uh, he couldn't sell his books, uh, TV, water, Eric. Um, but... Um, is, I don't remember the exact wording, but like making the news, making money off of him. Yeah. And if you're going to make money off of him, you should at least give him some because he's so broke. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a favorite joke you wrote for somebody else? And are you allowed to say it? On the Oscars, when Chris hosted it, I wrote the sorority racist joke, which I still really like. That's right. Is Hollywood racist? You're damn right Hollywood's racist, but it ain't the racist you... Th- that you've grown accustomed to. Hollywood is sorority racist. It's like, we like you, Rhonda, but you're not a Kappa. Um, I also wrote the joke that everyone got mad about, too. <laughs> I know why you decided to do Tell everyone. <laughs> yeah. um, the first time I interacted with you was through our... Uh, Andrew Law, who I used to work with and is a friend, and who you worked with at Seth. Just Ma- talked to Andrew yesterday. Um, and I was interviewing Seth at Comic-Con, and I asked Andrew for questions, and you and Andrew wrote mean questions. <laughs> uh, what is the meanest thing you've ever said or wrote for or about Seth? I, I absolutely love Seth. He like I, I learned like a million things from him, um, and I st- still write some jokes for him that um, are really bad and or mean um this is one he didn't pick uh (laughs) according to a new report the number of cyclists in new york city has fallen over the last two years they have of course fallen into cars they were run over they died they're dead anyway we have a great show tonight casey (laughs) anthony is here I have no idea why he wouldn't pick that <laughs> yeah, <no idea>. joke. <laughs> and the last one. Can you do an impression of yourself? Um, Hi, guys. It's me, Michelle. <laughs> Perfect. The end. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was great. Always fun. I love talking about jokes. That's it for another episode. You can stream Joke Show on Netflix and Nice Lady on HBO Now. Find Michelle's live dates on michelleisawolf.com slash tour. Follow Michelle on social media at michelleisawolf. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Art Chung. Research assistance from Amanda Gordon. Gautam Shrikashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Come see us live at South by Southwest on March 15th and at Brooklyn's Union Hall on April 2nd. We'll be back next week with Moshe Kasher. Have a good one. Why do you run? Why does anyone? 
I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Teen Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Teen Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.